0: What's this episode? Uh, I thought S8 and S9? Uh, they just made it weird. You're listening to Return to Gilead, a fan podcast for down Gilead Lane by two new but avid fans of the show. I'm Ryan Matlock. And I'm Michael Favor, And you're listening to part one of our review of Spring
1: Broke by Beth Culp and Sarah Ozinski, episode 57 on our Return to Gilead.
0: It's Era Two! We made era it ERA Two! Ooh, we are done We're with the to first... two yeah. eras now? Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. Today we are starting with part one of our review of the two-parter that confuses me in the special episodes because it's the only two-parter of all of Gilead to get this weird numbering system for the like the season number. Oh, so what's the numbering system? Well, I'll just say it. We're reviewing episodes 57 and 58, which are S-8A and S-8B, Spring Broke Parts 1 and 2. So is this the first two-part special? Yes, it's the only two-part special. Then it
1: makes sense maybe from that perspective that it's the only special that's got two parts? Like, with the Christmas episode, it's way longer.
0: The best Christmas on record.
1: Best Christmas on record, yeah. Yeah, but the best Christmas um, on
0: record is not a two-parter, and it, was, it has right, never been packaged as a but it's as long a as a
1: two-parter. Right. But they still aired it all together as one thing. So I could see if they aired such a long episode, they could possibly air another special back-to-back.
0: Okay, okay, so you're thinking that they aired this as one episode as well?
1: Not that it was necessarily one episode, because there's two wraps. My assumption is that they still did a wrap for both because there's a different lesson in both, but that maybe they yeah. aired them back to back since their specials.
0: Yeah, because there were people who were asking Steve O'Dell all the time on the Coloring Connection, hey, how come there are 18 episodes, but Family Camp is number 17? He said, well, because Springbrook, we're just counting as one episode because it's a two-parter. I might have to track him down and just say, hey... uh." Your numbering system doesn't, is worse than the AIO Wiki podcast numbering system, so, you know, that's... <laughs> he will be like, who made the AIO Wiki podcast, Michael? <laughs> I'm, I'm like, you know, I would appreciate it if you get off my back on that one. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> anyway, we brought up the differences in the themes. I'm just going to start off and say that this is probably my fourth favorite episode. Ooh. So, like, both together are your fourth favorite? No, I think I or like the first part. I think I like part two more than part one. And okay. since, since this is a an extend not an extended, but we're, c- we're covering both parts at the same time. So we'll be talking about both of them. Both were written by Beth Culp and Sarah Osinski. And I'll go ahead and read the summaries for parts one and part two. Summary for part one is the Morrisons have a decision to make on their spring break trip to Washington, D.C. when they cross paths with a family in need. And then the summary for part two is, as the Morrison's trip at the Capitol continues, John and Mary wonder how to reach out to the Vaughn family while Justin struggles with all the changes to his plans. So for the first episode, I was really feeling what Brooke was saying, how she's kind of she feels guilty about not being able to be in the like the missions field, going to the Dominican Republic with Becca and Luke. But then she realizes through the Vaughn family, who the Morrisons meet on the plane, that you're supposed to have that mentality of serving people wherever you go in your day to day life. And if you're thinking that being on the missions field is something special, besides being a new location where there are plenty of people in need, we should be looking for people in need everywhere we go. And that's excellent.
1: And today's clip of the day actually is a great sort of thing to bounce off of as we start to talk about Brooke and... Uh, oh, okay. Her personal issue, um, or the personal thing that she faces in this episode. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll go ahead and play that clip if you're good with that.
0: Yeah, yeah, go for it. Hey, hey, lady, can you get that baby to be quiet just for five seconds? I'm sorry. Why do people have to be so
1: mean? I don't know, Brooke. And that poor woman probably feels terrible. You are absolutely right, John. She needs some encouragement. Honey, what, what are you happened? doing? Where are Here you going? Here she goes again. Is she going back there? Oh, come on, girls. You should know your mother by now. She doesn't even know her. Oh, yeah. When has that ever made a difference? Dad, you don't just get up on a plane and go help some stranger. I've never seen anyone do it before.
0: Oh? When do you help strangers? When you send out support letters and you're in another country?
1: And that is just, first off, it's a great simplification of his argument and also what Brooke eventually learns in the episode. Yeah. Sort of that idea of... We don't just help people when we're in a third world country and we have the t-shirts that say that we're there to help. We help people whenever we can and everywhere there is op- there are opportunities for us to do so. And I think it's just great here yeah. because it's such a brief scene. Like That was only like 30 seconds, but we see one, an example of Mary... And then we see John reacting. He doesn't react in a negative way. He's like, "Oh, there she goes again." And you can sort of see her. You can you can sort of hear a fondness and a amused tone in his voice mm-hmm. that only grows when his kids are like, "That's so crazy." And he's like, "That's <laughs> no, Is that's normal don't... for her. Don't you know her?" She does this all the time. Oh, I there love she her goes again. It. Is
0: what was what he says.
1: Yeah, and here I I picked this scene just because I enjoy it. It makes me laugh, mm-hmm. but it also makes me think, and it serves a very unique turning point because the scene right after this Brooke goes up and helps as well. Yeah. So yeah. it's clear that she was convicted by what was said just now.
0: Well, and and also since we played this scene, you can hear the sound design in the background of it, and the the plane sound effects are fantastic, kind of adding to the overall atmosphere and the. Uncomfortableness of the baby crying in the background and the guy telling, yelling at her almost to, "Hey, can you keep keep your baby quiet?" No, she's not physically able to do that, at that yeah. at least at that time. But it's also John's line is a callback to the second scene where Brooke says, "But they're making people's lives better about Becca and Luke," and John says, "Oh, and you can only do that when you raise support and are on a mission trip, right?" And here, it's only two scenes later, he paraphrases that same line. Now it's a situation when Brooke can apply that, and she takes that. We don't see her processing through it, but we see her show up in the next scene being there and helping. And that's the beginning and sort of the zenith, (laughs) get it?
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Of her arc in this episode because she's learned, and now she's starting to act on it.
1: Yeah, and back to the sound effects real quick. Yeah. The oppressiveness of the engines is something that I appreciate because Uh it's not often I feel that when characters in an audio drama or a movie are in an airplane you actually hear the engines so loud usually Mm -hmm. it's like a a low like and meanwhile most of the presence of audio is dedicated to the voices and so you hear like very bassy voices that sound like they're in a closet because uh, they're in a cabin obviously but I appreciate here where it's a very loud like whoosh sound going on because that is what it's like to be in an airplane, especially a passenger airplane uh, like this that's filled with a ton of other people. And it's not this super nice jet, but it's rare that I watch a movie or hear an audio drama and the sound effects are this oppressive It works just, one, because it's an airplane, and two, because it's meant to be an uncomfortable airplane
0: plus a baby crying. So is it as oppressive and uncomfortable as uh uh-huh. yes <laughs> we're keeping it going boys i was like we haven't used that in a while we better use that again it's been a while um but yeah yeah big fan of it you can you can still hear all the voices and stuff and it doesn't it's not making me as uncomfortable as the sound effects in the best christmas on a record i'll put it that way <laughs> <laughs> bzz, bzz. <laughs> really back to what we were just talking about Yes, that's that's a great moral that everybody can get behind because Brooke isn't happy and then she becomes happy. And then with Justin, I have had times where I've had plans and my parents have tried to accommodate those plans. But I knew that if I had let go of what I wanted to do, it would have been a lot easier for them. And to add on to that, from part one, the family who the Morrisons are ministering to have that be the reason that Justin's plans go awry. That it makes for an excellent, excellent theme, because we know that Justin isn't mean spirited. He loves God and he wants to serve him, but he also wants to meet the president. So when it looks like that's going to be canceled because the parents need to be there for the speech, but they also want to be there to minister to the Vaughns, It's a, an excellent dilemma, but Justin goes ahead and sacrifices what he wants so that the parents can minister to the Vaughns. And when I heard that first time, I was like, wait, no, he didn't have to do that. And even though we get at the end in the the first mid-credit scene, actually of Gilead, where Justin gets to meet the president, or I think it's supposed to be George W. Bush, right? Because this was something mid-2000s. like That's the closest a president I can think of that it would be an impression of. Right, since he gets to, to meet the president, that's cool. And his change of heart toward the whole thing happened before he knew that he would bump into the president on the elevator. I like that. But it's it also raises the question of, would it have been wrong for, was Justin right? No, would yeah. it have been wrong for Justin to choose going to the banquet? Welcome I to
1: era two, where now <laughs> we're, ta- we're going to talk for four seasons about was <laughs> Justin right?
0: I think the answer to that is no. It would have been okay if he had gone. But the reason was because he was feeling convicted about the way he was acting for the whole week. And because of that, his mindset wasn't right. And he knew that he had to be there to be with the Vaughns. But it brings up a good question, because at the end of the episode, if you just want to go there for the end of episode two, when Justin says that he wanted to impress the president, but he didn't care about impressing God. And he'd be ashamed knowing that he shirked his responsibility to be there for the Vaughns and doing what God wanted him to do. For the whole episode, he was ignoring the Vaughns and asking, how long are they going to be here? But still, I can sympathize with him. Because if I had somebody who was kind of interrupting my plans and I was a member of a large family who just had to go along with it, I would be frustrated too. But is there any way, like say Justin's mental, the way he was approaching it is not mental state, but his mentality toward the whole thing. Say that was different. Is there a a way that in his conscience he would be clear about going to the banquet and not being with the Vaughns if the rest of the week had gone differently?
1: Maybe. I, I mean, like in the end, there still comes the point where they're realizing there's an opportunity for the parents to talk to the parents and for the kids to take all the kids, which isn't really possible unless Justin helps, because 1v7 is a lot different than 2v7.
0: Well, and also the parents say that they can't let Justin go alone, implying that one of the parents has to be there with him. And I right. think that's I think that's a bigger deal, because if that was the question, why not just have Justin go with Haley and Timmy or like Haley and Michael to the banquet?
1: Sure. And I think that. In the end, he has to make this decision because that's the only logistical option that fulfills sort of the proper stewarding of the opportunity.
0: I love that his parents are still saying, you can still go, you can still do this, but he makes the mature decision to not and to sacrifice that for the sake of this family. And we don't see what happens, but we see this decision. And I love, love that he makes it because it fits in so well with his character because he's been planning this for so long, and he's so excited about getting to everything here. And his plans, everything is working for the first day, and then it all falls apart, and he has a hard time dealing with it. And Michael, Haley, Brooke, and Timmy are okay to go along with it, and Timmy has a new friend. But for him, he's had to put aside everything. And it. F- I think it fits really well with his character, and it works in a great character moment at the end here. So all that to say, I, I like it. Yeah, I like it too. And I think
1: that it's really cool thematically the two sides of this coin, because what Brooke is dealing with is sort of worried about not being able to go onto the mission field. And she doesn't want to go on the vacation because she thinks that she'll miss out on the mission field. Justin's problem is the inverse of that. He is too focused on the vacation and he's missing the mission field. Brooke Mm -hmm. learns her lesson that the mission field is not a singular place And he learns his lesson that the mission field is often more important than the regular things that we might want to do otherwise. Right. Sort of there's a perspective there that needs to shift. And I love this lesson because it's very convicting, first off, just because I think it's all too often that when the situation comes, we sort of feel like Haley and the rest of the kids did when the mom stands up. To go help the mom, we feel like.
0: What are you doing? People don't do you that. You don't
1: just do that, and it comes into play. Like I feel that way when, like for example, I see a homeless person on the side of the street, and yeah. I'm in my car, yeah. and in my head, I th- I have the thought like, oh well, I could find a way to help them somehow. But then there's also like all the possible arguments against that, like, oh, well, they'll j- they'll just use your money for drugs or <laughs> oh well, they're not actually homeless. they're faking it. Oh, well, yeah, um, they they're just lazy. yeah, and like all those things are sure, maybe, but that's not a perspective that looks at them in a ministry focused way. It's looking at right. it in a pragmatic logic to a fault kind of way, <laughs> almost possibly yeah. trying to logic yourself out of possibly serving them,
0: which isn't healthy. It's not only just the logic, but because you have all these counter arguments about why you shouldn't help the guy on the side of the road, give him some money. And then the thought comes up of like, oh, I have so many things to think about. Maybe I'll just help next time. Just just wait. Keep thinking about this. And then the light turns green and you drive away.
1: Right. And I love that the way this episode handles a lot of these ideas. It explores it from a lot of different angles. It's not just Brooke and Justin's. It's also like from the parents' angle. Because the parents have multiple scenarios where they have to figure out how to handle it. When it came to the plane, the mom jumped in immediately. When it came to the hotel situation, they
0: They all jumped in took
1: a moment and they said they they paused and they said, Hey, well, we, we all have to be in agreement on this, which I mm-hmm. think is a really good moment, because it shows that the parents aren't going to neglect their children for the sake of doing what they think might be helpful to someone, because it, there are too many cases of Christians who, for the sake of what they feel led to do, they neglect their children, which they are not led to do. Uh, like, I've heard enough stories from other people, like, uh, one recently I heard of, like, someone who was super into adopting because they really felt for other kids, mm-hmm. but what that did was it led to the the older kids who were in their teens or whatever weren't getting the attention that they needed, and so they grew up with, like, some kind of mental, emotional baggage they had to work through, mm-hmm. and it, was, yeah. it wasn't good. And so it's like you need to work, look out for their emotional and mental well-being, which I think the parents do a really good job of because they, they're not content with a, okay, okay, right. are you guys good? Okay, okay, let's go.
0: Yeah. They're, they yeah.
1: talk they take the moment to talk about it and they're right. not rushed about it, which you shouldn't be rushed about doing the will of God. He's, he's not on a, <laughs> he's got,
0: he's got, he's got it. Obviously the parents aren't going to say, oh yeah, we're going to give you our whole hotel room and we're going to go out and sleep on a bench. What? Yeah, that's what we're going (laughs) to go do. (laughs) No, it's that the kids are having fun with the Vaughn kids. They're playing Monopoly. That's in the background of the final scene. Something we didn't mention in um, Free For All. I think something I might have mentioned. Random reference. Free For All Part 2. There's a conversation between Ms. Kopeck and Monica in the background. And I used like silence or like remove center in Audacity to listen to that audio. And I did that again in this one. Mm. You can hear them like saying different things in the background while they're playing. and It's pretty cool. Um, But the kids are making connections with these these other kids. Their plans are still, for the most part, going fine. And Michael and Haley actually want to drop out of the banquet. Michael, Haley, and Brooke, and and Timmy just wants to play with uh, Henry, which is fun. But they are fine. They their emotional yeah. well being is they're they're being cared for. And with Justin, sure. he makes the mature decision to drop out, but not because his parents prod him to do that. Because they're still looking out for him. And because they have that care for him, they don't just say, well, Justin, well, we want to do this and that's the way it's going to be. Also, because they've told him, yes, you will be able to go to the banquet. But because they made that promise, now it looks like things are different. So now it's hinging on Justin. And since Justin's the one to make that call, that shows that his well-being is being cared for. There was something I wanted to bring up with the the two parents, the the Vaughn parents, Shannon and Eric. Yeah. And I love the writing for the Morrisons in this one, but I also love the writing for them because we see in the first scene with them when she gets off the airplane and goes to find him, and he's gotten off the bus, and they have four kids, three of them are voiced, one is just canned sound effects. Uh, Susan. The youngest, the baby. Sure. What I love about this episode, this two-parter, it's written by both Beth Culp and Sarah Asinski. So I think we're getting the best of both worlds here. We get a great plot, good, relatively good action, good conversations between them, and a great moral, great message, great writing and characterization. We've come to love from Beth Culp from these characters. Yes. And part of that is with this new family, I think it's a near-perfect introduction because... We're not given their problems. We're not told exactly this is what's going on. And she doesn't say, oh, my relationship with my husband's really tense when they're on the plane. They meet up, and we can hear something in their voice where she said, doesn't – I think – She says
1: like – he's like, oh, well, yeah, that was – Terrible, riding in the in the bus with these kids. These two monsters, he calls them. Yeah, she's like, well, you should have been on the plane with a crying baby. And basically, they're just having a war of who had the worst situation.
0: Right. And then he says something like, well, we probably shouldn't argue about this or something. I was like, you brought it up, buddy.
1: When I listen to this, if I were like a marriage counselor for them, I would say what their struggle is, is that they're both a bit self-centered. Yeah. And... If they were to both focus on the other, that conversation would have gone entirely different. Like, one says, oh, wow, this was terrible. These little monsters on the truck or on the bus. And the other says, oh, what happened? And then it's an opportunity to vent and be known.
0: Right, rather than just changing the subject and say, oh, well, I had a worse trip. I don't even know what happened on your trip, but mine was terrible. Right, right.
1: Like, they're both kind of vying for attention without being willing to grant any. And if they were to you know, just do that, then they'd both be happier.
0: Is there any connection between the fact that the Morrisons are well off and they have this really nice hotel room and their family is great and the only time when Mary cries, as Timmy says, is when she's happy for the kids, which is nice. Is there any connection between that and their faith and also the fact that the Vaughns don't seem to have that faith and also that there's turmoil? In their family, no, there's not. No, okay, okay. So
1: uh, here, well, so uh, I'll that's a, with an asterisk. Okay, I'll put it this way: I think that there is a fallacy that a lot of Christians run into, where they think, well, I look at my wealthy Christian friends, and they're pretty well off, and then I also notice these homeless people on the side of the street, whom I assume are not Christians. <laughs> and they draw the assumption that it must be correlation equals causation, and that's mm-hmm. not necessarily true. Right? There, I have friends who are Christians and they've been homeless before, and I have friend, I have friends who are well off and they're not Christians. Yeah, I don't think that wealth and Christianity or poor status and atheism or agnosticism. Uh, Go hand in hand. I do not believe that. What Mm -hmm. I do believe is that it can follow that your faith yields those blessings simply because I'll put it this way. God has a certain way that he created this world to work. And sin is a perversion of the right way that he had in mind for things to work. Right. And generally that sin yields consequences, whether for your soul or here in this world. Mm -hmm. I think that for the Morrisons, because they try to do things by the book as far as Christianity is concerned, they yield the blessings that come from operating within the rules of how the world is ordered. So, for example, you say, well, the Bible says I shouldn't lie, so I won't lie. And thus, you're more honest with people and you gain relational equity as a result because people can trust you and you're able to... Achieve higher levels of authority as far as your job is concerned, and you're able to gain more money as a result, mm-hmm. and therefore you're well off.
0: Well, and the family dynamic Whereas, also works better, and your kids are right. more willing to go along with what you want to do, and therefore are more right. accepting of John's move to like, uh, not to move to Colorado, but his position as a judge and things like that, leading to this position or leading right. to this. And as this Christians,
1: conference. the parents they have they have the value of raising their children right. And they have the Holy Spirit guiding them as far as that conscience is concerned. And whenever they see, uh, like, even a little glimpse of, hmm, I think I see that this child is struggling with this biblical moral issue. Let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. They don't build up a debt of moral issues that they've never sorted out.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, we see that in Love Rules when Haley is really ticked about not being able to go to the concert and they don't give in. They say, nope, this is how we run this house and you need to abide by these rules. So. And then they talk with her
1: afterwards. They don't just kind of leave her stewing angrily.
0: Right. And that's where we're going to cut off discussion on part one of Springbroke. Yeah, I know you were in the middle of making a really good point, but we're going to have to or maybe it was me. I have no idea. Well, actually you were. Or maybe...
1: Maybe neither Maybe. of us were. Maybe, Maybe we were saying nothing of any substance whatsoever.
0: In, in any case, we are here to talk about how you can get in touch with us. And Ryan, uh, how can listeners do that? New website! Yeah! Returntogilead.com Yep, we've teased it in the past, but it's finally here. You can go to Return to see more information about this podcast, links to Anchor, and back to the link tree for some of the other links that I haven't worked into the website yet. But if you go to Return to returntogilead.com, that will eventually be your one-stop shop for everything returned to Gilead and more about this podcast and about Down Gilead Lane. Oh, oh, and there's a special deal that yes. if you go to shop.keysforkids.org during the month of August, you can save 25% on any Gilead purchase with the code GileadFan22. Now that's GileadFan22 only at shop.keysforkids.org. Not hashtag not sponsored. But anyway, <laughs> next time we'll be finishing our review of Spring Broke with part two, episode 58, S-8B. So, yeah, that'll be a that'll be a fun time. Make sure not to miss it. Yeah. Catch you later. And in the meantime, I'm Michael. And I'm Ryan. Thanks so much for joining us. And we'll see you next time as we once again return to Gilead. Right, and what I was more talking about was in the context of this episode, I have to sneeze. Yay. You always have to sneeze in the context of the episode. <laughs>